Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Everyone have a good time in church? We're going to have a good time. I want to take a second to welcome our South Campus. Y'all make some noise for the South Campus. Join us live via simulcast. Man, we're glad you guys are with us today. We are one church in two locations. And man, we're going to have a good time. Before uh, we jump into part four as we wrap up the series, You in Five Years, I want to give a, a quick shout out to the next series we're doing called Enjoy Life. Now, if you look somewhere near you, there is an invite on a seat somewhere. So if you can't find it, push people, try to grab one, make sure you get one. Uh, don't really push people, okay? It's not that kind of church. So here's the deal. Take that invite. We're going to have an incredible time uh, next month. Bryant is going to be unpacking the idea of uh, being happy as a Christian. Now, you might not know this, but Christians don't really stand out as the happiest people in the world. But we believe we should be the happiest people in the world and really enjoy life. So come next week ready to hear from God. Invite someone. It is always a good time to invite someone. We start a brand new series. And make sure you show up for next week as we start Enjoy Life. You all excited about next week's series? Man, it's going to be good. I'm ready to have fun. Y'all know I love having fun in church, and I've had a good time as we've gone through you in five years, hit on um, some specific things over the last few weeks, and really what we've been focusing on is the idea that we all have dreams for our lives where we hope things to be in the future, like I wish I was this, I wish I was that, I wish I, I hope I have something, uh, but sometimes our hopes uh, don't end up happening because we don't do anything about it today. And our dreams for tomorrow are always only going to be dreams unless we start doing something and making decisions today to move towards those dreams. We talked about this, and this is the main point, the, the thing I hope you could remember. If you forget everything else, I hope you for, could remember, as you said this a whole bunch of times, is that your decisions determine direction. The decisions you make, they determine your direction. And that is, that's just true of everything. Even if you're like, I don't know if I believe in the scriptures. I'm not sure. Someone brought me into church, and I don't know if I agree with this stuff. Hey, here's the deal. You know it's true. I know it's true. We live in a cause and effect world, an action, reaction, sowing, and reaping kind of world. So the things that you're doing right now will have fruit later in life. And none of us want our lives to suck. right? No one's like crossing their fingers like, I hope everything falls apart in five years. Everybody's hoping that your life is better, whatever you might determine it to be better. But we all want our lives to be moving in the, the right direction in five years. But my question for today, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is, is what happens when it doesn't? Like what happens when you, you choose the right things? You, know, you, you invest the money and you're working towards financial security and stability and you're like, man, we're moving in the right direction. And then your car engine blows up. And you're like, man, I did everything right. I even checked the oil, right? Or you mean, like, I'm in counseling right now, and our relationship is on the rocks, but we're, we're going to counsel. We're trying to get things better, or I'm here by myself. I'm just trying to get myself better. And, and you can't get over the thing, whatever the thing is. 
You know, I mean, I'm trying to build a relationship with my children and have a healthy family dynamic, and for whatever reason, it still continues to not work. And in five years, some of us, honestly, if, if, if we look at our lives, we're going to go, man, like, like, how come it's not working? Even some of us right now, today, no matter where we're at, we're saying, man, I hear you talk about these things. You talk about this dream of where we hope life would be in five years. Like, I just want some kind of peace, some kind of goodness right here, right now. And let's be straight, like, if we didn't talk about this, then we just inspired and rah, rah, rah. Like, some of us are leaving going, man, that sounds great, but, like, I don't buy into this because that's not real life. Like, life is difficult, isn't it? Like, life is hard. There are going to be seasons as we go through the next five years of our lives. There are going to be seasons that we walk through. We go, man, I hope I never had to walk through that. Even looking back the last five years, there have been seasons, there have been days I would never want to relive. There are seasons I never want to walk through. And I hope never, no one would ever have to walk through those seasons. But you probably have seasons like that too. And what do you do when stuff doesn't go according to plan? Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to take steps and move in the, the direction we want our lives to go, even when it doesn't seem like anything is moving, even when it seems like things are sliding backwards on us? So this is one thing I appreciate about the scriptures is as you look through the scriptures, you see real-life stories of people who went through all sorts of difficult things. And some of them have good and happy endings. Some of them don't. And maybe you've been around church long enough where you've heard a saying, uh, something like, when God closes the door, he opens a window. Right, y'all have heard that? But they don't tell you that it feels like hell in the hallway, though. And you go, man, like, yeah, like, it sounds really good. You know, five years from the tragedy, five years from the crisis, it's obvious to see that God was saying no to this thing and yes to that thing. But what about when we're right in the middle of it? There's a story in Scripture. It's in the Old Testament of this guy named Job. And Job, he actually, the whole book is like 42 chapters long. It's like a long book. It's a lot of uh, poetry back and forth. But Job, the whole point of Job is they're wrestling with this question. Job and his friends, this question, honestly, you've wrestled with, I've wrestled with, the question of why do bad things happen to good people? Because here's the deal. We don't question why bad things happen to bad people, right? Like, of course, Mike got fired. Mike's a jerk, of course, Tina had that thing happen to her. Of course, they got the diagnosis. They don't take care of their body, right? When, when bad things happen to bad people, people we determine as good or bad, right? We don't ask questions about that. And when good things happen to people we determine to be good, we don't ask questions about that. We might be a little bit jealous, right? Like, of course, you have a beautiful family, and you just got the promotion, and someone just gave you a boat, Right, like no one questions why good things, you might be like, I'm jealous of that, but also you go, well, they're a really good person. They, de- they really deserve that. They work really hard for that. We don't ask why bad things happen to bad people or why good things happen to good people, but the reason we ask why do bad things happen to good people is because we don't like the conclusions we come to. We say, well, if bad things happen to good people, especially if I'm a person of faith, that's really hard to reconcile in my brain because is God in control? And if he is in control, then how did he allow this to happen? If, if this happened, then, then is God really in control? And if he's in control, then is he really good? And we can honestly keep ourselves awake at night like so many of us have found ourselves trying to wrestle with why is this bad thing happening to this good person? And Job's whole story is wrestling with that question and trying to figure out. He actually has friends come in, and they try to help him figure this out. And this is something I want to look at, and we want to finish this series talking about, because this is real life. This is authentically following Jesus, because bad things are going to happen to you. 
And you're going to do bad things also. And we need to have something helpful for us, some kind of teaching, some kind of picture to point to and look at, something to surround our hearts with when those things come. Because you know this is true. They, they will come. And I wish I had like an encouraging thing for you, like, hey, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you, but the reality is that would be a lie. And you wouldn't believe me, and you shouldn't. But to wrestle with this question, to kind of see how things go in this book of Job, we've got to start at the very beginning. So this is Job chapter 1, verse 1, and this says, Job, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And it goes on into the first chapter. It talks about how he had so much stuff. He had children. He had herds and flocks. I don't know what the difference is between herds and flocks because I'm not a farmer. But he had herds and flocks and wealth all over the place. And it goes on. It goes from talking about Job up straight to heaven. It says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered from Roman throughout the earth going back and forth on it. Like, no big deal, God. I'm just hanging out, just going around, attacking people, destroying people. I'm just doing my, you know, I'm just being me. I'm just doing my thing. And then goes on, and, and the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Like, even God thinks Job is legit. Like, if Job needed character references, he could just write down God. And God's going to call when the person calls. Hey, can you tell me about Job? Like, I tell you what, Job is, he's legit. He's a good dude. Right? Even God thinks Job is good. So even if we're looking at, like, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, Job probably is the top of the list of good people. If God thinks you're good, if God is bragging about you, that probably means that you're pretty good. And Satan replies, says, does Job fear God for nothing? He replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land? But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. See, God is saying, see, Job is such a good person. And Satan is saying, no, Job is a good person because you give him good things. Not because of what's inside, but what's outside of him, that makes him a good person. And for a lot of us, if we're honest, sometimes that's how we determine our, our worth and our goodness, isn't it? You look around and go, well, obviously God's blessing me, so obviously I must be a good person. Our blessings are our stuff. We acquire more stuff. And Satan is saying to God, hey, of course he loves you. Life is good for him. Like, he hasn't had any adversity. He hasn't gone through anything. So, God, if you really think Job is that good, let's put it to the test. And God agrees. And you can read this for yourself, and I hope you do, because we're going to fly through most of this book. You can read about how, how God says, okay, Satan, you can go for it. And Satan goes, God tells him, there's, there's one where you can't kill him or touch him. And Satan says, okay, so Satan goes, and he does exactly what a lying, murderous uh, adversary would do. And he goes after his children. All of Job's children die. He sends people to go and steal his herds and his flocks. And Job is standing there as a servant comes and says, hey, all your kids are dead. And then while he's still talking, another servant comes up and says, hey, I was with all the animals. And someone came and stole them and ran away. And then another servant comes and says, hey, this has happened. Like, like one after the next after the next. And Job is just standing there like, what in the world is going on? Like, I think if we're honest, if we were Job in that moment, we're going, I'm, like, I'm a good person. Like, this isn't the deal that we had. And Job actually, as a sign of mourning, tears his clothes and shaves his head and sits down 
and just calls out to God and actually still in that moment looks to God with faith and says, you gave me nothing as I came into this world. I'm going to leave with nothing. I'm still going to praise your name. I'm still going to worship you. Which is not what we would do, right? Like if we're really honest about this, if you've walked through adversity, like your worship, if it was worship, looked a lot like Job, like sitting on your butt, everything in shambles, crying, tears in the pillow kind of worship. It's not like raising your hands and declaring how good God is. You're trying to convince yourself of how good God is because you don't feel it. And then Satan goes even one step further and is like, yeah, yeah, he's still blessing you because you haven't touched him. Let me, let me strike him with a sickness. Let me go after the disease part of the humanity that's broken. And God says, okay, go for it. And he gets these boils, and he's using these clay pots that are broken. He's scraping these boils, and he's sitting there. And even his wife comes. You can read this in, in Job 3 through 37. There's a whole dialogue. There's him and his wife and then three of his friends. And even his wife comes to him and says, Job, would you just curse God and die? Now, let, let's not be too harsh on Job's wife because she lost everything too. Like sometimes we look at this story, and if you've been around church, you go, man, Job's such a man of faith, and his wife, man, his wife, I don't know about her. Like she lost everything. And she's reacting honestly how I would react. Like how can you still look to God? And some of us, we've been in that place where we go, over the last five years maybe of your life, you've been in a place where you go, I don't know how I can continue looking at God. Even some of you, you stepped outside of church for a while because you're like, I don't think I can seek God. And for whatever reason, he's brought you back in. And some of you, it's your first day back. And you're wrestling with this. And you're trying to figure this out. And I don't think it's a mistake that this is your first week back and we end up talking about this. So Job talks with his wife and then goes on, he's Three friends come in, and they start talking with him, and they're uh, trying to comfort him. First, they just sit there and comfort him, which is smart. They kept their mouth shut and just comforted him, which that's the way you should do it, right? If you've been going through pain, don't come and tell me anything, even truth. Like, let's be real. Just come and sit with me. And then they start opening their mouths, and they start reasoning and trying to figure out, okay, let's talk to this, because our minds, our version of God, our understanding of how the world operates is God is in control, God is just. If God is just, then he operates with a principle of justice, and that means that good people get good things and bad people get bad things. And they're trying to figure this all out, and they're trying to go back and forth to Job. And Job, you must have done something wrong because you are getting bad things. And we all know if you plant corn, you get corn. If you plant wheat, you get wheat. Job, you're getting bad things, so you must have somewhere in your life planted bad things. The problem was that their theology wasn't complete. Because they had a real simplified version of God, of God, it fits into the equation, the world fits into the equation they can understand, of A plus B equals C. And we're going to see in a minute, God goes, hey, life is way more complex than that. And this is the reality. For all of us, we, we honestly, like, when we're in the middle of difficulty, when we're in the middle, middle of frustration, we try to figure out how good God is, don't we? Like, and then what happens is we start kind of investigating our own lives. That's why for some of us, like, bad things start happening, we're, like, right in church. Right? We go back to confession. I need to start attending church again. You know, maybe if it's really bad, I'm going to start giving some money to the church, trying to buy God's favor, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. Like, maybe he's upset with me. I'm going to, you know what, y'all talk about serving all the time. Everything's going bad in my life. Maybe I'll even start serving. Like, if it's really bad, I'm going to start doing these things. Why? Because we're trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And the problem with Job's suffering is Job. 
The problem with their view of God's justice is Job, because Job says, I've done nothing wrong. Like, you even look, God even talked about how, hey, he shuns evil, he fears God, he does what is right, he's a righteous person. God even thought Job was legit, and Job finally has had enough and says, like, I don't think you are right in this. You're saying I'm doing wrong things, I'm not doing wrong things, and I know my heart. And you're trying to investigate things, and this is something we got to be careful of in the church, is when people go through bad things, we don't need to investigate them. We need to comfort them. We need to help them. It, it might lead to some questions and, and helping to understand some things that are going on in life. But if bad things are happening, the last thing that you need from me is for me to investigate you and try to find all your bad stuff. See, Job and his three friends, the four of them, they were theologians. They just weren't good theologians. Just like all of us are theologians. You might say, oh, I didn't go to school for that. I, don't, I can't explain all things, but here's the deal. We're all theologians because we all have a way in which we view and study God. Just like we're all music critics. We're all sports analysts, right? You have all these guys using sports radio like I do. People are calling all the time, telling you their opinions on what the Bucks should do and what the Rays should do, and they did this and they did that. Or you watch shows like The Voice or American Idol, and you're voting there on your phone because you know. Right? It doesn't mean you're good at it. Just like theology, like all of us have a way in which we view and study God. It doesn't mean we're good at it, but we all have that in us. We're trying to figure out God. Even if you're like, I don't agree with the God of the Bible, you still have some type of theology you're working through about your thoughts of God. And Job finally gets to the point where he goes, all right, I just had it. I'm done with this. I've been humble. I've been meek. I've listened to my friends because I have no idea what's going on either in my life. I'm trying to figure this out. And then finally, Job, and this is chapter 31. Again, read this for yourself. It's like Hebrew poetry back and forth where Job and his friends are interacting, going back and forth, responding to each other. And then finally, in, in chapter 31, Job is like, all right, enough. I've had it. I'm going to kind of flex my righteous muscles. I'm going to flex my character to you and show you that actually I'm a good person. In chapter 31, he goes into and explains in verse 1 how he kept his, keeps his eyes and his heart pure. I haven't even done this stuff. Then he goes down to chapter 31, verse 13. He says, I've kept justice for my servants. Like, I don't mistreat people. Some people mistreat people. I don't mistreat people. Then verse 16, he talks about how he cares for the poor. Then he goes on to verse 20. He says, I've protected the fatherless. Like, people who could never repay me, I have protected. I have loved. And then verses 24, 25, he says, I have never trusted in my wealth. Like, I'm incredibly wealthy, but I don't trust in that. And then he finishes with, with verse 29. He says, I've, even, I've not even rejoiced in my enemy's misfortune. Like, even the people who are against me, I don't rejoice when they go through hard times. Now, that is one massive indicator for spiritual maturity, for God's heart and mind being on your heart and mind. Because Jesus came and taught to love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. And that's hard, isn't it? Because if they're hurting me, they are bad people, and they should get what they deserve, which would be bad things if I'm the judge. Thankfully, though, I'm not the judge. So Job kind of throws his hands up, and he's, honestly, we can just say this in church, he's pissed, right? Like, and this is the deal. Some of you are uncomfortable with that, but if you've been through hard times, it's like, yeah, I get that. I've been there, done that. I've had those conversations with God. And, and Job kind of demands an answer from God after he defends himself. And then that's where God responds to Job. And this is chapter 38. And listen to God's response from Job. 
It says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it, or on what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone. While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set the doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further, here's where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Sounds kind of mean, doesn't it? Some of us are cringing a little bit because you're like, that's like the angry God I was taught about. And we're going to see in a, here in a minute, I don't think this is an angry God. See, because in this, if you read through the following chapters, Job and God have this beautiful understanding where God is giving Job the gift of perspective. He's showing Job all these things and helping him understand. Even when he says, I'm going to question you like a man, it's because he wants to remind Job, Job, you're simply a man. And you have this simplified view of my justice. You have this simplified view of creation and how things operate. And even Job and God talk, and God points Job back to creation, back to even scientific things and say, look at these things, and you'll see I'm there. Look at these details. He even gets into these details and then talks to, God, to Job about, hey, all these things, like the, the mountain goats having, having babies and this thing happening, the feeding the birds, like things you have no idea about, things you, you couldn't write down when those things happened. You have no idea, but I know. And he gave Job this gift of perspective to be able to rise above his pain and see with clarity because the reality is Job could only see what is in front of him. We see through Scripture time and time again that faith is what connects us to God. And faith is not in what we see, but who we know. See, Job knew God. He knew God was loving. He knew God was kind. He understood the information that God provided for him and cared for him, but his experience wasn't lining up with that knowledge. So he began to question just like we do. And he gets frustrated, and he's trying to, to figure this out. And God gives him the gift of perspective, because as long as Job focused on pain, that's all he would see. And the same is true of us. As long as you and I, as long as we only place our focus on our pain, that's all we're going to see. Now, you read through this, and you check this out, and, and the thing that's awesome is God doesn't dismiss Job's pain. God doesn't just say, okay, Job, stop being a baby, suck it up, get back to it. Right? Like, God talks to Job, and God feels his pain. God doesn't respond to questions like you and I respond to being questioned. I think through this, and this is what I love, I think through this, as you read this, the thing that God is trying to show Job is, I know about your pain. Like, when you sat down with torn clothes because your kids died, Job, I saw you. When you and your wife just held each other and wept because you had no idea what was going on and you were curious and, and trying to figure things out and she was cursing God and your heart wanted to curse me but you knew you should worship me. Like, Job, I, like, I know about that. Like, I know when the, the animals in the mountains give birth. You think I don't know about your hurt? 
You think I don't know about what you've been through? See, because if I'm reading how God's responding, I would be thinking about how I would respond. And so often we project ourselves onto our Heavenly Father. Or maybe we project how our Father was to us onto our Heavenly Father. And we think if God is questioning, if God's coming back at Job, like obviously he's, he's angry at Job. And God's telling him, I know. All those details, all the things that you thought I missed out on, all those things that you thought were far from me, when you thought I forgot about you or I misplaced you or I was too busy doing something else, Job, I know. Job, I was there. And I wonder if we're honest, how many of us have felt like that? Like, and not like your, your you know, Christian background, education, like your response, not your Sunday school answer. But like really thought when life didn't go according to plan, when you got the diagnosis, when you got the news back from the doctor, things you hope you never heard, and they said, no, it is cancer, we're going to get this treatment plan, and we hope things are going to be okay, or we don't think they're going to make it, or this is irreversible, we can't fix this, or the divorce papers come, and you're sitting there all alone, and you don't f- actually rip your clothes, but you would want to just rip and break everything, because you're all alone, you're going, I have no idea how I got here. God, I think you forgot about me when you hit bankruptcy, when you find yourself humiliated at work. You go, man, God, did you forget about me? The sad reality for a lot of us is if we haven't experienced that in the last five years, we probably will experience that in the next five years. And this is why we got to talk about it now because we need something around our hearts to help us turn back to God. This is the incredible thing, too. If you look very back to the beginning where we started, chapter one, who is it that challenges who? If you read it, it's God who challenges Satan. And he says, hey, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan basically responds with, challenge accepted, God, I'm going to destroy him. And this is the beauty is that because Job was God's, God's going, you can try your hardest, but you will not destroy one who is mine. That's where Jesus came and he taught in, in John chapter 10 that when you are part of Jesus' family, the, the flock that comes in, the sheep of the good shepherd, he says, I'm holding you in my hand and my father is holding you in his righteous hand and no one is stronger than my father. Nothing can take you away from my father's grip. So when adversity comes, when you feel forgotten, when you've done something and according to your standard of justice, you would say, man, I feel like I should not be in God's family anymore. I feel like I should not be in God's grip anymore. I feel like I should be cast away. God's saying, no, 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 no. You are not strong enough to hold you here. I am the one who's strong enough, and you can't get out of my grip because I love you so much. If that is the goodness of God. And even as you continue looking through Scripture, this is the thing, and for a lot of us, this is the truth. Even when you don't believe it, this is the truth we need to surround our hearts and our minds with, is God has not forgotten you and God has not forsaken you. Even the times when it feels like that. I don't know why it feels like you're going through hell right now, and some of you feel exactly like that, but God of heaven is still right there with you. In the midst of the pain. In the midst of this discomfort. You look through the, the, the narrative of Job, the story, as it wraps up, Job is actually overwhelmed with the power and the presence of God and actually turns back and, and, and repents and turns to God and says, no, you're right. 
and like you are righteous and you are holy and I didn't understand everything, which we all got to get to that place where we say, I don't understand everything. And God actually responds to Job and says, Job, you are righteous. You are, again, you're holy. You are awesome. Your friends need to sacrifice because they turned away from me and they spoke against me and they do that. And, and God actually restores all of Job's children and he restores all of Job's flocks and herds, actually double what he had before. And it was not a reward for obedience. It was grace, it was blessing, it was simply a gift, it was unmerited favor. Job could not earn that, and God said, I just want to give it to you, again, to display how good I am. Now, we hear a story like Job, and we think, man, yeah, of course, that sounds great, that's in the Bible. Because some of us even feel like, I, didn't, I don't even believe in the Bible. Like, that's thousands of years ago, like, I can't go find Job and ask him about this. I want to tell you about a couple that you could go and you could find and ask about a story similar to this in the sense of losing everything. There's a couple by the name of, of Jay and Catherine Wolf. Jay and Catherine Wolf were uh, met in college. They were sweethearts, like instantly. Like Jay was like, this is a story of so many people. Jay is like, I love her. I don't even know her, and I love her. And Catherine was like, Jay's a good friend. He's like a brother to me. Right? You've been there. Some of you are there right now. Keep praying, brother. They ended up falling in love, and in 2004, they get married, and it's an incredible ceremony. They're at their, her parents' home church where they got married back in the day, and she celebrates awesome. And then they move from Alabama out to California because he's going to go to law school out there, and she's going to pursue a, a career in acting. And it's like everything is going according to plan. Life is good. They moved from this little crusty apartment to this nice apartment that had a, a beach view, which is like a sliver of the beach. They could see if they stood just right, right? Like everything is awesome. A couple years into marriage, they find out they're pregnant. Everything is awesome. Life is so good. They have their baby in 2007, and everything is going according to plan, right? And six months and five days after the birth of their son, James, Catherine is standing in the kitchen making some lasagna, and she gets real dizzy and feels weird, and the room's going in and out of focus and goes and falls down into the living room and actually undergoes a massive brainstem stroke, yells for her husband, Jay, who just happened to be home an hour between classes because he forgot some papers that he needed for the next class. He runs in, seeing her eyes all dilated, going, oh my goodness, like, she's dead. Calls the EMT. They show up. Six-month-old baby sleeping in the other room the whole time. EMTs get there, this is not good. They strap her and they get her, hey, we got to go right to the hospital. So he's trying to find his cell phone, trying to find his stuff, gets in the car with his son, drives, he's crying, his son's crying, everything is hitting the fan right now. Like, this is not life as they planned it. They get to the hospital and they actually get transferred to the main UCLA campus uh, hospital. And then it says, the best in the West is the third hospital in the world. Like, oh my goodness, this is so incredible. There's this amazing neurosurgeon who's here. And then Jay is talking to the neurosurgeon, and basically they're trying to figure out, I don't know if it's worth even operating on your wife because I don't think she's going to make it. Like, that wasn't according to plan, was it? They didn't set that out in their five years. Who you want to be in five years? I want to be in an emergency room trying to figure out if my wife will even survive and what in the world I'm going to do with a, a six-month-old baby. And then what happens is they actually do surgery, and they, they actually have about 11 more surgeries that she undergoes over the years following, and she did miraculously recover. 
but she's not whole. She had to teach herself how to, how to do things like eat and talk and smile. And she's learning to do those things right as her son, James, is learning to do those very same things. And then 2014, Jay and Catherine find themselves at a camp, a special camp for families with disabilities. And they're speaking to these families who have disabilities and sharing their story. And God lays on their heart, you need to start a camp like this. So they begin pursuing the ability to start a camp like that for families who parents or children are disabled. And they're going to come and we're just going to love on them. And we are walking the same path with them. And they open this camp up. Right around that same time, Catherine becomes pregnant with her second son, which is another miracle. Against all odds, no one thought it was possible. All the doctors said, yeah, you can go for it and try, but like, we don't think it's actually going to happen. And they give birth to their second son. And then another year later, they write a book about their story. And the, the book is called Hope Heals. And this is something spectacular that Catherine said. And the reason I'm pointing this out to you, because if you're like, I don't think this is real. I don't think you can lose everything and still look to Jesus. Like, first, we have people right in our gathering that have gone through that. But also, this is someone you could go and you could find and you could ask them questions. And this is something she said, which is incredible, as you think of their life did not go according to plan. She said, we celebrate this life that looks absolutely nothing like we thought it would. I did not ever think this would be my life. I never thought in a million years when I was a little girl, I'm going to grow up and this is going to be my story. And yet, I really like my story. How? Like, she's not whole. Like, Job's family, his children die, and he gets new children. But if you've lost a child, you know there's still ghosts in the family. Like Job and his wife still carried the scars. It doesn't matter how much they got through their flocks and their herds coming back, all the finances they got. Like, yeah, God gave everything back to Job in a lot of senses. But there's also reality, Job wasn't whole, and Catherine's not whole. So how could she enjoy her life? Because Catherine and Jay have their hope in something greater than the next five years. They have their hope in something greater than this life. Their hope is found in Jesus. And they said this on their website. This is incredible. It says, for us, hope has not been in good thoughts or the positivity of human spirit. As nice as they are, those things fade shockingly fast when you experience the deepest pains of life. The hope we desperately cling to with every fiber of our being is the only true hope that heals. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope that he will one day mend all broken bodies and broken hearts. Hope that he will create new life and breathtaking beauty out of the ashes of death. Hope that he will withhold no good thing from us because he loves us that much. Now for a lot of us, when we go through adversity, we begin questioning all sorts of things about God. And can I tell you, that's normal. Even if you read their story, if you look to their life, they probably had days where they said, yeah, we weren't sure what God was doing. We thought this is not how it's supposed to be. But their hope wasn't in this life. Their hope wasn't in a future. See, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, wrote this in his first letter where he wrote in chapter 1 how we are given an inheritance that is not going to fade away, that will not be destroyed and cannot be taken away. Our inheritance is in heaven. And Peter wrote, and this is where we got to remember Difficulty does not mean that God is disciplining you. 
going through hard things does not mean that God is angry with you. Je- uh, Paul was so clear about this in Romans in 8, chapter 1, where he says, there is no condemnation for you. And do we really believe that when it feels like everything is going away and nothing's going according to plan? Like, do we really believe and look that God is doing something in this? And to be honest with you, you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says no condemnation. But then later in Romans, it talks about how all things work together for those who love Christ. And sometimes it can feel like those are opposites, doesn't it? So there's no condemnation and everything, even the pain's going to work out. God's saying, I want to give you the gift of perspective. It's not about right now. It's not about five years from now. It's about a future and a hope that's found in Jesus. And this is something we got to remember and we got to constantly look back to. we got to surround our hearts with the truth. Is that hope in Christ does not mean you won't experience adversity. It means you won't experience abandonment. It means that through your adversity, through the difficult things you're walking through, God is saying, I'm right there with you. I've not turned away from you. I've not forsaken you. I haven't turned my face. I haven't ignored you. I have not forgotten you. I am with you even now. I haven't forgot about you. Now, for a lot of us, we have felt forgotten. Again, you get the divorce papers, and you can barely have your hands steady enough to sign the papers. You get the diagnosis, and you want to stay in that hospital room because for whatever strange reason it feels like a sanctuary and you feel like when you open that door and walk out of that room somehow it becomes more true, right? When everything falls apart with your business and you have to go into bankruptcy where you go, man, I'm humiliated. I feel like God forgot about me. God's got a lot of kids. I think he just kind of forgot about this one. And God's saying that's not how I operate. I know, I see, I'm there. For some of us, you hear an extreme story like Jay and Catherine's. You go, well, that's good for them, but I've never walked through something like that, and I don't know if I could walk through that. But I want to tell you, I think actually you are walking through that. This is something Catherine wrote in their book, Hope Heals, that I thought was so incredible and helpful for us to look to because the reality is we are all walking through the brokenness of humanity. And over the next five years, you will encounter things that are, are painful that are not due to anything you chose that are not your fault, and it's just the, real, the results of a broken world that we live in. And this is, this is what Catherine said. She said, what happened to me is extreme. However, it is not that different from what everyone deals with. I'm a sort of microcosm for what we all feel. I can barely walk, even with a cane, but who feels free even if they can? My face is paralyzed, but who feels beautiful even when they look normal? I have no coordination with my right hand, so I can't hold things, even my child. But who feels like a competent parent, even if all their faculties are intact? For months, I could not eat. Even today, I have difficulty swallowing. But who feels satisfied, even when they can enjoy every delectable treat they desire? I am tired almost all of the time. But who always feels energized to engage fully in their life? My voice is messed up, but who feels understood even if they can speak plainly? I have double vision, but who sees everything clearly even if they see normally? My future is uncertain, but whose isn't? And she goes on and says, so no matter the situation, universally, universally, people feel what I'm living out. They don't feel free, they don't feel understood, and they don't feel satisfied. 
See, my greatest dream for you as we look to the next five years is that you would have a greater and deeper understanding of the love and the character of God. That even in the midst of adversity, even when you're walking through hell, you keep your eyes focused on heaven and say, my king is here. He's given me an inheritance that will not go away, even though right now everything in life feels like it's going away. That you would understand and base your actions and your reactions on your faith, and you would feel all the feelings of pain. God nowhere in the story of Job puts aside his pain and says, don't worry about that. He embraces and he accepts the pain and the struggle and the frustration. But he also points to himself and says, Job, I am what you need. And I've been here through all of it and I will be here through all of it. So over the last few weeks, I've tried to give you really practical things practical steps to help you choose the things you want to choose and become the person you want to be in five years today. The first week we talked about how you got to redirect and refocus and check in as you're going through life. Keep checking and keep our eyes focused on Jesus and keep checking to correct our course so we don't stray off because if we don't check in, we're going to end up way far from where we hope we would be. And the second, we talked about how we need to make sure that we need to shift our focus to be who instead of do, who God is calling me to be, not simply the things he's trying to get me to do. How instead of what? How is God preparing me, not just the thing he's trying to get me to do, and then the ultimate instead of immediate, where you're looking at God's ultimate pleasure and plan for you, not just for right now. Last year, we talked about how you got to get yourself in practical baby steps, get yourself in motion, and then inertia can take over, and your life continues going the way you want it to be. And hopefully those have been helpful and practical. And today, what I want to give you is a practical, helpful thing is is a song. It's a song that's called, Though You Slay Me. It's a song that has, has been powerful in my life. The times where I've been like, God, what are you doing right now? And you've been there. And this is a song that gives me the words to say when I don't know what to say. And it gives me the faith that I want to have when I don't have it. And I want to give this as a gift to you to help you have perspective and help you be able to surround your heart with truth even when you don't feel it so you can lift your hands to the God of heaven and say, I don't understand what's going on, but I want to trust you even though I don't feel like it and I need some help. This is a song you can sing to yourself. You can sing over your children. And music is so powerful. And this is truth that can carry you through even the darkest of seasons. And I hope that it's helpful for you. Before we uh, hear this song, I I just want to pray for us because I know there are people in our house hearing this right now that you have felt abandoned by God. You have felt forgotten by God. You felt like God has misplaced you. And you're not going to believe these words. But what I'd ask you is would you just sit and listen? And would you receive this truth and allow it to surround your heart with God's message and you can look to God? And all over the place, South Campus, North Campus, y'all can stay seated. Don't worry about standing and singing along. You just sit and you receive. And South Campus, Bryant is going to wrap up for us and I'll come back up in just a minute. But before we do that, would you pray with me all over the house? Would you bow your heads just as a sign of respect for people around you? Before I pray, I just want to ask just the question, and, and I'll tell you this too. If you are uh, thinking of getting up and going, I'd say sit through this. you got to stay in your seat, if nothing more than just out of respect for people around you. Because some people around you, you have no idea what they've been walking through, and we want to give them a chance 
to hear this. So if you could stay right in your seat. But if you're here and you'd say, Justin, if I'm honest with God, I have felt abandoned. I have felt forgotten. I have felt misplaced. And I've questioned God. Would you put your hand up? You put your hand up. You can put it up and right back down. I see people all over the place, over here on the side, in the back over there, over on the left side. You can put your hand up and right back down. Here's the beauty of the character of God is he is not threatened by our pain or our questions because he is more powerful than both. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. And then I hope that you would receive this song as truth to minister to your heart. God, thank you so much. God, thank you that you are there. God, that you are good even when we don't feel it. Even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when we are unsure. God, thank you for being so powerful. Thank you for knowing. God, I pray that we could get perspective, that we could turn our eyes to you and see you're doing something and that this is not wasted. Even when we're not sure what it is, God, even when the pain feels too powerful, I pray that we could look to you and God, people God, who have felt abandoned and mistreated and neglected, God, that they would turn to you and trust that you are good no matter what. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.